Paul, it's been a long time. People have been asking about where where are we? What's going on? The last time we were on, we promised we would not let such a gap happen again. And here we are like, what, three weeks later? Um, yeah, it seems that this is a kind of a broken record we're talking about here, having to apologize for the long gaps in our, uh, our recording sessions. But uh, unfortunately, it's just, uh, well, I don't know if it's unfortunate, but summer just kind of gets in the way between vacations and in business travel and just being busy in the summertime it, it's uh it's really tough to hammer down a, a date and and yeah. the technical issues i'll have you know well our, our listeners should know that it's not for lack of trying um we, we've had some technical issues which we've you know hopefully have sorted out yeah don't jinx it Yes. Yeah. So this sh- this episode should have been up uh, about a month, a week ago. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, w- well, we figured it out. So yeah. audience probably we, does not care about technical issues. Exactly. If anyone does want to know more, then send us an email. But uh, so I I was at the Blue Jay game yesterday, and I think I might revise my no adult should wear a jersey rule. I think I might buy a Blue Jay jersey. Okay. All right. Yeah. Because this was. Oh, this went back quite a quite a ways ago. I think with uh, one of your very first episodes that you did with Simon, and one of your topics was no adult over forty should wear a jersey. Right, and then we debated a little bit about whether that should be at the game. Yeah, it's okay. we, we talked about it ourselves because I think I brought back that brought up that topic myself, and I think we came to sort of a. a an agreement, if I'm not mistaken, that it's okay to wear it to, to a game or to a sporting event, but yep. just to wear it out to, to do your grocery shopping, eh, it's kind of pushing a party. Yeah, come over for a barbecue and yeah, wearing your your, your jersey. And- yeah, yeah, just just wearing it just for for the sake of it. Okay, maybe I can see where you're coming from on that. I don't. I, I personally don't have an issue with it. I think it's fun, and I think it's it's good that people embrace their love of, of a sports team that way. Um, I personally wouldn't necessarily show up to a party wearing a, wearing a Jersey, but some Good. people would, Good. and that's, that's okay. I guess I don't want to judge too much. Yeah. I, you know, we have a, a listener, Peter, who says that we should definitely make sure we observe both sides of a story. So let's just take that for a moment. Let's just think about the guy that gets up and puts the jersey on and he's, yes. he's getting ready to head to the barbecue or whatever the party is he's going to. He's he's looking in the closet, sifting through what to wear, and he sees the jersey. Let's just put ourselves in his foot in, into his shoes for a minute. Mm-hmm. What's going through his mind when he f- sees like you know the golf shirt, the polo shirts, t-shirts, and then he sees the jersey. What's going through this guy's mind when he says, hmm? Well, I, I suppose it would depend on what type of party or what type of barbecue. Like if it's a relaxed setting where if you're just getting together a bunch of friends in a backyard barbecue, then I could see that level of, of casual attire. But if it's anything to do with maybe a little, I wouldn't say more upscale, but just something where you're, you're meeting new people or something, or like, I don't know, like if, if it's a celebration of some kind, then I wouldn't, I personally wouldn't wear a Jersey, but. Okay. What about it's the big playoff game that day for that team? Then I can, I can understand that. Yes. Yeah. 
I'm trying not to okay. be too judgy here when it comes to, to stuff like that. It's whatever you feel comfortable in. If it's being comfortable in your own skin, that type of thing. My wife yeah. made the comment. She said, I tried listening to your episode where you, you guys were talking about airport talkers. Yeah. <laughs> and she said, I had to fast forward through it because I was bored. Oh, okay. So, well, airport talkers, I guess, aren't that interesting of people then. I mean, I thought it was an interesting segment, mm -hmm. but uh, hey, it, this it is why it's good still. to have someone who's just honest. Yeah. You know, like it was boring. Well, it, now, it was boring to her, but maybe it wasn't boring to everyone else. Yeah. Hey, we can't be all things to all people, right? <laughs> we have said that before. Yeah, You're yeah. right. But okay, I want to get back to this. What? Why Why have you changed this tune about the jerseys? Are you, did you get caught up in like the... Like the the frenzy of the uh, of the you know cheering on the Jays and everything. Like, uh, will I will so, I see you purchase a jersey at some point in the future? Well, that's the thing. So I got to thinking because normally I'm a t-shirt kind of guy when it comes to wearing team colors. Like I had a couple of Blue Jay t-shirts, and I noticed that. Yeah, like a lot of your Facebook posts, especially when you're living out in in Asia in your. In, touring China and Japan, you, you wore your Blue Jays t-shirt with pride, which I think was pretty cool. Yes. Well, and that was part of it too. Yeah. Cause I was in a, in a foreign country mm -hmm. and I kind of wanted to wear it. Cause I, I thought sometimes they make good conversation starters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can understand that. But back to your question, am I considering purchasing a Jersey? Yes. Yes. And, and why, what's the change of heart on it? I, I actually really like the Blue Jay jersey, the what they've like the the logo and the lettering on the front. I think they've done a really great job. My son has a jersey, mm -hmm. and I was looking at it yesterday, and I I really liked the way it looked, and I thought I think maybe it's time to get one. Mm -hmm. So that's why. Okay. Yeah, like I I have jerseys myself. I've have, I've have two Blue Jays jerseys. I got a, a Leaf jersey, actually two Leaf jerseys. Um, so of, of the teams that I follow, um, yes, absolutely. I have Oshawa generals Jersey. So yes, I, I wear the jerseys to the games myself. Um, and I think it's kind of a cool thing. It, it, it's a sense of belonging to a team. Like I, I like to wear the team Jersey if I'm a supporter of that team when I, when I go to see them play. So, so, well, okay. Then before we, before we leave the topic, I, I do believe under no circumstances should one ever put their own last name on the back of the jersey. Unless you're a kid, but as an adult, I would agree with that comment, yeah. Can you imagine showing up at that barbecue, yeah. not only with the jersey on, yeah. but your last name pasted on the back? Yeah, yeah, I think that's a bit odd. I, I don't know. I wouldn't do that myself. It, it has to be... If, if you're going to go through the the expense and effort to get a jersey, it, ha it has to either be blank on the back, like no no player, or you, you just the number, or you choose an iconic player. Like for you, I know you're a huge Tony Fernandez fan. I don't know if you would want to do a retro jersey, or if there's a, a current player on the team that you would want to have their number, or you just leave it blank. Well, the one thing about jersey names, even if okay, so we agree not our own names. Mm -hmm. That's that's a that's out, yeah. but. There is something about seeing a jersey of a player that's like Hyunjin Ryu, for example. I saw a few people wearing that jersey the other day. Mm -hmm. uh, they were not Korean. Mm -hmm. um, because there was a part of me that said, well, it's okay if they're Korean to wear it. But then I, 
I mean, I think it's okay to wear it regardless because many players are not Canadian or American. But my point with it was that aged badly. A Hyunjin Ryu jersey aged badly. So I thought if you're Korean, not bad because it's part of the culture. You're connecting with the culture. But there is that whole the, the jersey ages badly scenario where you've got this jersey of a player who's only been around for a couple of years. He's likely never going to play again because he's now had Tommy John surgery. Uh, so I always feel, well, if I put like a, if I did put a jersey name on, I think it would be somebody who you know is locked in for like seven, like a George Springer, for example. He's going to yeah. be around a while. Exactly. No, that's a that's a good point. Is that yeah? If if you're gonna again go through the expense of, of getting a Jersey cause they're not cheap. Um, then yeah. You, no, you, they're like what? A couple hundred bucks. You can pay for these things. Yeah. Like you can get them on sale, but you're typically spending at least a hundred dollars, but yeah, you'd want to get a player that is, is means something either, either an iconic player from the team history, like a, a Joe Carter or Tony Fernandez or whoever it might be. Um, sure. Or you, you get a current player that you know is, is a, quite a, a cornerstone of, of the current team and is going to be there a while. Um, so yeah, like for example, um, for Jay's jerseys, I got a Bichette and I got a, a, a Donaldson. So Donaldson is a guy who hasn't played in a few years, but I would still wear that Jersey cause he, he played an integral role to the team, former mm-hmm. MVP. Yeah. Whereas a guy that maybe if, was like a, a rental at the end of the season and only played like, you know, maybe a couple of games, then yeah, that would be kind of weird. And and those are the jerseys that you see at, at the sports stores for like 75% off. <laughs> so I don't yeah. know, maybe people buy them just because they want a jersey. They don't care whose name is on the back and they just got a really sweet deal on it. Okay. So for this whole topic, we agree that okay to wear the jersey, not really okay to wear it to a party, mm-hmm. certainly not okay to wear it with your own name on the back of it. Yeah. All right. I can agree to that. So I was recently in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. I got back. Uh, it was the first international business trip in a while. And uh, I did want to share a bit of a, a travel situation that happened. Oh, before we get into this, we're, we didn't really do a recap on what we're doing today. We were going to do some catch up because it's it's been a while. And then we were going to pick talk just about some weird news stories because it's one of the favorite parts of our show that I've, I've had feedback on. People really like the weird news stuff. So we're going to just do five or six weird news stories for today. We're not really going to talk too much about specific topics other than sort of our general catch up. Yeah. I think that's a good, uh, sounds like a real good plan. So with San Francisco, I, I'm going to try to keep this short. Um, yeah, you, you've you've piqued my interest here because it, you you've indicated a, a while that something weird happened to you on the San Fran trip. So uh, yeah, yeah. So the San Fran trip, you know, it went well. It was there. We're visiting a client. There was a couple of colleagues with me, and you know, everything went okay. I will say the homeless situation in San Francisco has definitely gotten worse over the last. Since I was last there, I was there, I think, in 2018. Mm. And now you've got literally tents set up in streets, like five, six tents will be set up just down a like a side street, mm-hmm. which is a little bit disturbing. I was in a CVS, and I noticed that almost every single thing there was under lock and key, mm. like ice cream. <laughs> ice cream, really? Yeah, it was in a freezer, and it had a padlock on it. Wow. Hmm. 
And then I was looking for some chocolate bars because I like to get a few snacks instead of, you know, just so I have them in my room, water and a few snacks. And even the chocolate bars, they weren't locked, but they were under these like kind of flaps, plastic flaps. And I was starting to get frustrated. I'm like, are you kidding me? Does everything have to be covered, locked? And so I went up to the store owner and I said, hey, can you tell me why is everything here basically either locked up or under these plastic flaps? This is just in the regular aisle ways. And he's, he didn't even answer me. He pulled out his phone and opened up a YouTube, his YouTube on his phone and showed me a video of three people in a CVS just taking everything on the shelf and shoving them into duffel bags. Mm. Like, and they were doing it like brazenly, like nobody, nobody was trying to stop them. They were just shoveling the stuff in. And I said, what is that? Like, what, what's going on? He says, we've been told by our store management that we're not allowed to stop them from doing it. Yeah. I guess from a liability standpoint, um, you know, you're putting workers in harm's way if they try to, you know, apprehend some of these individuals that you know, right. could be potentially dangerous because, you know, obviously people are resorting to, to desperate measures. They could be high on drugs or something. So, yeah, I, I can understand that. And, and as an employee making minimum wage, are you going to put yourself in harm's way because someone's stealing some chocolate bars? But the the area that you were in, like, where was it? Like, was it in the financial district? Like, what, what kind of, was it a sketchy area? Um, well, it's become a sketchy area, but it, it, it's, um, you know, I, I actually don't remember the specific area of that we were in. We were not far from the, you know, where the, what's that, Union Square, is it? Okay, near Market Street? Yeah. So okay, because I know that there's some weird parts of San Fran. Like, I've been to... San Fran many times and I know Market Street can be kind of a really sketchy part of town even even many years ago um, and as he said it's probably gotten a lot worse over the last couple of years yeah um, yeah, yeah so the so, area we were in was uh, Geary Geary Street I think it's Geary not Gary Geary and uh, it's at the corner we were at the Marker Hotel which okay. uh it's, it's not the Tenderloin. The Tenderloin's the area that definitely people say to stay away from it. But <laughs> but but that's not really the, the story. So the CVS story was quite disturbing. Um, the one I wanted to tell was the my experience with my, my plane ride home. So the night before, I had parted ways with some colleagues, and I said, hey, you know, safe flights back, guys. We were all going back at separate times. I was going back the next morning, and they were sticking around for a couple of days to do some sightseeing. So... I said, so I, I mentioned that my flight was at uh, 1030 in the morning and I went to bed, I set my alarm for, I think like six and I figured that's going to, I'll get to the airport by 10 or by seven, sorry, that gives me three plus hours. And we've all heard the stories of travel these days. So I yeah, was, yeah, what right. I thought, taking extra precautions. For so sure. yeah. anyway. I woke up at 5.45 before my alarm, and I just decided to check my email, my flight reservation, mm -hmm. to see, you know, confirm what, what you know, I knew it was Air Canada, and I knew it was at 10.30, but I just decided to just have a quick look, mm -hmm. and I realized it said the flight was at 7.30. Oh, man. 7.30 a.m. Yes. 
And, yes. And, and what time is this now? Like this quarter to six. Oh crap. Okay. <laughs> and you know that there was that moment of shock, like, oh, oh, oh shit. Okay. So um, hold on. Did they change the flight time or was it just an error on your part? You just, for some reason thought it was 1030. Yeah. Error on my part. The reason oh, okay. was because when I looked at the flight in my calendar, I was still on Toronto time. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So you get that three hour time difference and it's local time, 730. Yeah. Yeah. So I had that, you know, that, f- that moment where you're like panicking, right? And you're deciding yeah. there is, is like you, you're a deer in headlights because you're frozen. You're saying, do yeah, I, like, do what, what I do, you do, do like, do I try to make this flight? Is there even any hope or should I just resign myself to the fact you're not making this flight? Like mm. by the time I would be able to get out of the hotel room, it would be six. You've got an hour and a half to get to the airport and checked in and, you know, the plane isn't de- it's departing at seven thirty. It's not. It's so you you know they're going to want to have everybody on f- the the plane like you know half an hour before. So you've really got till about seven. Yeah. So I just went into try your best mode and get to the airport regardless because if if you don't get get it, they can try to put you on the next one. So I yeah. scrambled like crazy. I just put everything in my <laughs> duffel bag. Or into my bag. I fortunately didn't have to check any bags, which was important. Okay, that's good. So I got down to the curb at six, and mm-hmm. I tried ordering a a Uber, mm-hmm. and it uh, said it was when I I ordered it from the hotel room. This is a good hack for people who are traveling. Order your room, your car from the room, so that by the time you get downstairs, you've killed three four minutes, and. I looked at it, it said seven minutes. So I ordered it at the perfect, by the time I get down there, it'll be two minutes away. So I order it, I go down, I get to the curb at six and I look down at the Uber thing and it says, your, your car is 12 minutes away. Oh, geez. 12 minutes. And this is 6am in the morning. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why is it taking so long? There's no traffic. And this is clearly a case where every second counts. Yeah. And just yeah. as I'm like realizing I'm screwed, a yellow taxi pulls up to the curb and I put my hand up. He looks at me and gets out of his taxi and helps me put my bags into the back. Mm-hmm. So that was fortunate. So I get in. The second fortunate thing was no traffic at all. It was about 20 okay. minutes maybe with no traffic to the airport. I'm there at okay. 6, 630 by the time I got there. I okay. walk up to the security line. I said, my flight's leaving like at 7.30. Is there any way you could let me through, help me through? The guy points to, I said, I have FastPass or I have Nexus. Yeah, I was going to say you get the, your Nexus card, right? Nexus yeah. means nothing. Another hack tip, folks. Nexus means nothing to anybody in the United States. Nothing. That does hmm. not translate. Trusted yeah, Traveler or whatever the other name is for it. Pre-check, yeah. TSA pre-check, those words mean something. But Nexus, oh, okay. Nexus right. means nothing to anyone south of the border. That's a Canadian word, Canadian oh, okay. term. All right. Hmm. Don't say Nexus in a in a US airport. They'll look at you like you have two heads. <laughs> anyway, I said, Hey, I'm I'm like desperate to get on this flight. Um, can you help me? And he said, Oh no, you don't have you don't have TSA pre-check, which I found it later was incorrect. I actually do have it. It's the equivalent, but Never mind. He then walks, he says, I'll help you out. He walks me to a line, which I thought was a special line. And then he, mm-hmm. he leaves. I said, thank you so much for helping me. He leaves. And what he all, all he did was dump me into the regular security line. 
Ah, oh, jeez. <laughs> it's like what a jerk. And, and was was there a lineup? Because yes. typically, yeah, like seven six thirty in the morning, it's busy time for airports. Yes, there was a huge lineup. Um, yeah. and anyway, they have. So I'm in the line. I'm just you know when you're just looking at your watch, you're seeing people just slowly shuffling away. So they had a dog. A, a, a security woman with a dog who wanted everybody to walk past and the dog would sniff them. She's mm-hmm. barking out her orders. Do not pet the dog. Do not touch the dog. Keep <laughs> moving. So yeah. I'm about f- 50 people away from this dog as people are slowly shuffling ahead of me and I keep looking at my watch. I finally get one person away from the dog lady and <laughs> guess what? It's time to do a shift change. Oh man. So she yeah. walks off with the dog. I see her go to the other side of the area and there's another woman with a dog <laughs> and the two <laughs> dogs sniff each other. And then the other lady fortunately quite quickly came up and uh, sat in the secure, came up and replaced her and, and things got moving again. I have to say it went fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. I was actually through security and at the gate by seven and it wasn't going to board till like seven ten. So huh. it just goes wow. to show you that miracles can happen, right? Yeah. That's incredible. Like it, it probably helped the fact you didn't have any check luggage. The fact that you could go straight into, into the, oh, the God, security yeah. line. Oh, I'd have been dead, in the, deal with that. dead yeah. in the water if that wasn't the case. Dead in the water. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like the story I told, I guess, several episodes ago when I almost missed my flight to, to Halifax. Um, you know, the, the, the issues that were going on at, at Pearson airport, which, are kind of still going on right now. I think things have improved a little bit. Yeah, but yeah, I, I can, I can, uh, I can understand that the the frustration and and the panic where it's like, okay, you're almost at the point where yes, I can make it, or okay, I'm done. Yeah, you know, and, I, and and I'm gonna, I resign myself to the fact I'm gonna miss the flight. You know, but getting you, to the airport of, you, is you, good. You waver, though. Yeah, like you waver in and out of, of hope and dis- hope versus despair. <laughs> yeah. Depending on, on how the lineups go and, and you yeah. It, it's it's a it's it's a stressful feeling wondering like when, when you're at the mercy of, of airport lineups and security, whatever, you know, various uh parties w- within within the airport itself. But if if you had have missed that flight, and first of all, I'm, I'm kinda surprised that your flight was on time. Because I've flown quite a bit recently with Air Canada, and, and it seems like every single flight seems to be delayed by at least an hour. Wow! So I'm I'm surprised that yes, your flight was on time. Um, but yeah, I guess if you had missed that flight, then you'd have just been on standby. I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, they would have just been able to at least deal with it on the spot, right? Like, okay, the next flight's at ten thirty <laughs> mm-hmm. or five p.m. tonight or whatever. We can route you through. Denver and get you, uh, you know, uh, on a flight and you'll be home like by two in the morning, whatever. But at least you're, you've got options yeah. versus I'm sitting in my hotel in San Francisco trying to do it. And they could maybe tell me, Oh, we have a flight leaving in an hour. It's like, Oh shoot. Well, here I am in my hotel. That doesn't help. So that would yeah, be another suggestion. True. I think if you're ever in a situation like this, always just go to the airport unless mm-hmm. it's like the last, you know, it's the last flight mm-hmm. of the night. I would just say, go to the airport, sort it out there. It'll be much easier. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, let's get into our weird news. Um, so, Paul, the Pope was just in Canada recently. Yeah, and the Pope was here for a fairly important reason that was for the um, the reconciliation with respect to um, the, the, the controversy and, and the, um, 
the, the issues rising from the residential schools for the indigenous communities. Um, obviously, this made a lot of headlines last year in, in Canada when a lot of these uh, mass graves were discovered in these former uh, residential schools. Yep. And a lot of these were managed by the Catholic Church. So I think that the Pope's presence here in Canada obviously was fairly significant in the sense of providing uh, formal apologies to a lot of these communities, the, the indigenous communities. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think we can all be in agreement that his visit here was, was very important. But you have some information about the cost of the papal visit, which is something that doesn't really get talked about in the media, uh, that, that the cost of security and everything. Um, you have some details on that? Yeah. So the province of, of Alberta, the government of Alberta, which is where his first visit was, is expected to spend up to $20 million on the visit. As part of the visit, numerous road and site infrastructure improvement projects are underway. Uh, they list a whole bunch of highways they're going to do. They're going to widen a gravel road on one road. They're going to upgrade um, uh, culvert maintenance, grading, brushing, uh, selective subgrade repair, all kinds of. What would that have to do with a papal visit? Why would you be doing like culvert replacements? Yeah, building that a seems weird. Building a concrete trail to the lake, concrete pad by the lake, gravel and a concrete pad inside the shrine parking lot and lane paving, uh, site upgrades for water, electrical and sewage. Uh, something at the Villeneuve Airport, access construction and gate installation, and on and on and on okay. for a visit by the Pope. Yeah, yeah. so it seems like there's a lot of, of add-ons here that maybe not necessarily have to do with the security of the Pope, but I guess that they've used it as a reasoning for making some infrastructure changes because wasn't there – if you recall, like many, like this is over 10 years ago when Toronto hosted the, the G20 summit. Yep. And there is a big controversy because one of the meeting locations up in Huntsville, you know, up in Northern Ontario, they, were, they had to build like some kind of a, a gazebo structure to, to host like the photo op or something like that. Right. And a lot of that stuff came under fire because it was all like superficial stuff that taxpayers were on the hook for. Um but here we are, it's sort of the same situation where you're, you're, yeah, building trails and culvert replacements because the Pope is visiting. Like why? Uh, yeah. It's, it seems odd. I, I don't know why, how you could justify that type of thing. Like he's just visiting. I mean, I'm assuming he's visiting various, um, you know, indigenous reservations or, is, or, yeah. or sites making apologies and yeah, making apologies and, and, and yeah, we can all agreement why, why he's there and in, in the necessity, but like, why is like paved paths? I don't know. I, I know that there's pictures of him in a wheelchair because he is getting much older. Yeah. But there's still, there's gotta be a better way to, to have to, um, you know, move the Pope around rather than have to build all these, trails or paving roads and stuff. It just seems weird. Well, they justify right. it, of course, by saying, hey, well, let's just use this excuse. Like when they have the Olympics and other things, let's use this as an excuse to do all these infrastructure repairs. 
But what about the cost of security itself? Like, okay, so you've, you've mentioned $20 million, and that's just in Alberta. I think he's he's visited Quebec, I think Nunavut, maybe a few other places in Canada. Right. Um, so a lot of that, probably the federal government, uh, I'm, I'm sure he's picked up a lot of that tab. Uh, but the cost of security with, um, obviously, the, the cost of policing, um, you know, you, you have to wonder – yeah, I guess Canadian taxpayers are on the hook for that. Like, what, what, at what point should the Catholic Church be chipping in, saying, "Hey, you know, Catholic Church should be responsible for the Pope's security detail, or, or, or offsetting some of the costs that that the visiting nation is having to incur, especially because of the reason why his visit is because of a necessity to provide an apology. It's right. Like it's just like a goodwill tour where Canada invited him to come. You know, I, I think this is an important reason why he's visited Canada. So, um, yeah, I, I'm kind of curious as to how all that is going to be sorted out. Yeah, well, some of it they say here, uh, the federal government. So, some of the costs that are that are involved here that the federal government is is part of this 35 million dollars. It said that uh, uh, 30 million of this 35 will be. Uh, to help fund community-led activities, ceremonies, and travel for survivors. Okay, so I'm I'm glad to see that the Canadian government is is helping with the survivors. Um, they said there'd be three million dollars. Um, another three million dollars will support Indigenous groups in the three regions where Pope Francis will spend time. Um, there was $2 million to interpret the events and comments from Pope Francis into indigenous languages, $2 million to do that. Um, I guess that's one comment, but back to your point, like doesn't the Vatican have billions of dollars in their like vaults? Like why aren't they putting up this, like most of this? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, And I'm sure, you know, the, the whole finances of the Catholic Church, I'm sure that's a topic in itself. But um, I, there was an, actually an interesting news article that I saw. This was several weeks ago where um, a lot of the, um, the Catholic churches, because, well, especially here in Canada, um, you know, the, the church has been sued by a lot of um, <clears throat> survivors of, of the residential schools. And apparently the, the church is having to sell off a lot of their real estate um, because I think that's where a lot of their wealth comes from is, is their, their land holdings. Right. Um, they're having to sell off a lot of their, their well, I don't know if it's, it's former churches, but some current. But yeah, some of their, their properties, in, including some, um, some of their iconic churches to, to have to pay for the, the legal costs and, and the settlement amounts. So, you know, I think that the, I'm assuming that the finances would be separate between the Catholic Church here in Canada versus what the Vatican has. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I'm assuming, you know, maybe this calls for a little bit more research to figure out how this is happening, um, how, the, how the Catholic Church is, is handling this situation and, and how all this is being paid for. But I get the impression that that the individual, um, you know, the, the, the churches here in, in Canada are sort of left on their own. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know what, what 
the Vatican is paying for. You know, are are they paying for some of these settlements, which I don't think the details of that have been released yet. No, they but say I, that some I, of the local arch, like the different church groups within Canada have been raising money to mm-hmm. help, help support all of this. But I just feel like we're not seeing enough specifics around the Vatican and the, the, the organization at the head, the top of all this. What are they actually doing to, to contribute to retributions? Yeah. But either way, it sounds like a big price tag. It is. And, and you know, full, disc- full like, we are not at all um, criticizing the compensation aspects of this residential schools and indigenous communities situation at all. It's just, is the Vatican paying its fair share for all of this? Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Okay, Paul, this one's a, a bit of a strange one. Cats on leashes. Um This is in Toronto. Torontonians might have to put a leash on their cats whenever they go outside. And here's why. Uh, Apparently, cats have been known to, uh, it says here that uh, cats are responsible for the death of about 200 million birds across the country each year. Uh, They also note that squirrels, chipmunks, rabbits, and other small critters are at risk of getting attacked by cats too. Where did they come up with these stats? Like, how the hell do they know how many birds are being attacked by cats? Like, geez. Yeah, it's just, this is from the Toronto Wildlife Center that shared data from the 2013 Environment Canada study that found that cats were responsible for the death of about 200 million birds. In Canada? Mm-hmm, across like the country. 200 million? Do you realize how many birds that is? It's a lot. Uh, I'm calling bullshit on that. I don't believe that. Like, how how the hell do you get these stats? And secondly, 200 million birds, that's a hell of a lot of birds. Each year. Each year. Like, come on. It sounds sounds odd. Sounds nonsense. But anyway, back to your story. Yeah, so um, they they feel also this is for the safety of the cat as well. Cats themselves are also at great risk when they're allowed to roam outdoors. When they go outside, they essentially become part of the food chain. They prey upon birds and small mammals, but they themselves are preyed upon by larger wild animals. This was a, a counselor uh, in the City Toronto Council that uh, Natalie Carvonen, executive director. Uh, oh, sorry, she's not the counselor. She's the executive director and founder of the Toronto Wildlife Center. Hmm. So there's the cat, its own safety, and then the the the, the carnage that these cats unleash in the community. Um, well, you, you are a cat owner. I'm a cat owner. Um, what do you make of like having cats on leashes? Okay. So <laughs> a couple of thoughts on this. Um, I think that, okay. A, a cat certainly living in the city, I think should be an indoor cat. Um, I've owned cats for many, many, many So this years. is a cat that it's a pet, that is a pet. Yeah, and, and I, I keep my cats as indoor cats because um, I think it's just safer for them. Um, you know, you don't have this fear of the cat getting run over. Yep. Some people don't care. Or becoming part of the food chain. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like it, it's, yeah, you're right. Like cats can obviously get injured or attacked or whatever. Um, you know, typically the, the biggest source of harm from them would be getting hit by a car. Uh, but yeah, in the city, there's a lot of dangers out there. 
um, some people just view that, well, you know, cats are meant to be outside and okay, that that's fine. Um, and I know that there's other complaints people have with letting cats outside in terms of, you know, being a nuisance or, you know, crappy in people's flower beds, <laughs> that type of thing. Mm-hmm. But I think generally cats are, are pretty harmless to the outdoor environment, obviously not to the birds, according to, to those stats. Um, but yeah, I guess the thing that the, the other thing that comes about with this whole cats on leashes is that where do you, how do you enforce this? Like, is, is there going to be animal control officers patrolling the area for rogue cats or mm-hmm. something like that? Yeah. It just seems so weird. Um, you know, it's just one of these bylaws that just, it's kind of like a meaningless bylaw. It's something that's on paper, but is it going to make a difference? Is it going to save, you know, millions of birds lives? No. <laughs> well, maybe well, 200 million of them are, are killed each year, but you did call bullshit on that. You said, so yeah, yeah. We could maybe get a copy of the study and dig a little deeper into it, but okay. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, so first of all, I don't believe that cats should be outdoors in general for their own safety, but I know they do, they do kill things and, and let's respect the fact that, uh, we don't really need, but birds are, they've had a lot of issues these days. There, there's bird <laughs> diseases and things that have affected yeah. birds. So um, I, I, I wouldn't personally let a cat out. I think people that let cats out tend to do it for their own enjoyment, like people's enjoyment, yeah. like, Oh, let the cat out so it can enjoy being outside. Yeah. Like our kids can, really I, want the cat to go outside. Yeah. He said, no, you're letting the cat out for your, your own enjoyment. Yeah. Like certain, and it's, as I touched touched before, it's certainly not in the city. Like there's a lot of dangers for a cat. Mm-hmm. It's one thing to have a rural property. Even then, you know, with a rural property, you can still get coyotes and, and yeah. Still, I think both are pretty things, dangerous. Both yeah, city it, and country have their, it their, is, yeah. their perils. Yeah, but more so in in the city where there's where's a lot more things could happen to a cat. Um, but yeah, it's just, you know, they, they make these bylaws and it's just, I don't, I don't see if it's how that's going to make any difference. Um, BMW uh, is starting, this is an interesting one. BMW is starting to sell heated seat subscriptions for $18 a month. Hmm. That's a lot for a heated seat. Yeah. And, and like, should, should you have a feature in your car like heated seats that is only enabled if you sign up for it. That's a blatant cash grab. Like I got heated seats in my car. Why, why the hell am I paying money for, for a subscription? Yeah. It says here. Okay. So, all right. So here's an idea. When you go to a dealership, I guess you pay extra for heated seats. Right. Suppose that's in the package. So if you go to the, the BMW dealership, then is the heated seats free and you just pay for it as you use it? I don't know. Is there any such yeah. thing really as free? I mean, the, the, the technology is going to be there. So you, somebody yeah. had to pay for it. I mean, they yeah. could be expecting it'll be covered by this subscription, but yeah, it says mm-hmm. here, BMW is now selling subscriptions for heated seats in a number of countries. The latest example of the company's adoption of micro transactions for high end car features a monthly subscription to heat your BMW's front seats costs roughly $18 with options to subscribe for a year for $180 or three years mm-hmm. for $300 or pay for unlimited access for $415. Mm. Yeah. And, and I guess 
you know, we're so used to these these cash grabs that are becoming more and more common. Like, it, and we're we're just not used to seeing it with with cars. And maybe this is the way of the future. This this whole subscription service. Like, I guess we're already seeing it with radio, with with satellite radio. You got to pay for that. Yeah. So I guess this next thing is heated seats, and next thing you got to pay for your heated steering wheel, and you got to pay for this feature and that feature, like. I don't know. I, I I'd be interested to see how this how successful this program is. So so for just for everybody's information, BMW has been doing this apparently since 2020, and the countries where they've been doing it are the UK, Germany, New Zealand, and South Africa. It doesn't, however, seem to be an option in the US yet. Mm-hmm. I wonder if they're like too afraid to try to introduce it to Americans. Yeah, I know this is a generalized comment, but being BMW, you know, I suppose if you were buying a brand new BMW, then you would, in theory, be able to afford to pay your $18 a month for your heated seats. Yeah, but you can apply that in so many ways. I've heard, you know, people say, well, if you can afford to buy one, you can afford to repair one and, you know, yeah. get a tune-up for one. Instead of it costing 80 bucks for a tune-up, it's like $600 or $1,000 for a tune-up. Yeah. Of which, if you don't do them, you're voiding your warranty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it begins a precedent when people start signing up for stuff like this. Then other car companies are going to jump on this bandwagon. So, yeah, I, I, I'm curious as to where this is going to go. Here's another one. Uh, fake Indian Cricket League. Um, the strange case of the fake Indian Premier Cricket League. Uh, so what happened basically here is, uh, so there were floodlights, high definition cameras and umpires with walkie talkies pinned to their shoulders. The cricket players wore colorful uniforms. The broadcast had the voices of recognized commentators and the logo of the globally recognized television channel, the BBC. But this was no Indian premier league, the lucrative cricket tournament that generates hundreds of millions of dollars every year. It was an elaborate fraud turning a large farm in a small village in the Western Indian state of Gujarat into an arena of sporting excitement. The target Russians betting on the winning odds of an unfamiliar sport far from home. Okay. This seems weird. So, okay. Why would, okay. Russians betting on it, but was this, where were the Russians though? Like, was this like a, Back in Russia. So they tapped into like one of these offsite betting places where. That's right. Yeah. So somebody created this fake um, tournament and um, basically did it in this farm out in the middle of Western India and just basically put this whole ploy together to make it look like it was a real tournament. And they were accepting bets on this tournament. About 24 players were involved in the hoax. The men on the field were, in fact, unemployed village boys and construction workers. The broadcast was streamed on YouTube, and the winners of the match decided in advance. The fake matches were played in the village of Molapur. Wow, it seems like a hell of a lot of work to put together this fake tournament. I know, it just seems, this. yeah, that is a bizarre story, because, okay, you have these villagers as players... Um, wouldn't there, wouldn't you notice like a, 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 you know, some differences with the, the, I guess with the skill of play between amateurs versus what is supposed to be 
professional soccer players from the Premier League. It would be like, you know, putting together, you know, a fake Major League Baseball game. Meanwhile, you've just got a bunch of like high school kids playing. Like it just, it seems bizarre that wouldn't, like the, the, the believability aspect just seems weird. Yeah. Apparently four men were arrested that were involved in creating this whole thing. They had hired um, the people they were uh, that they hired. They were hired for roughly five dollars, uh, which which is a lot for a jobless young man in rural India. Um, they were given a uniform and promised four hundred rupees each for the match, and they were all pretty ha- happy about it. Apparently, but they said that the the whole thing came under uh, it, it was noticed by the fact that. Um, they checked the phones of players on, uh, and laptops of the organizers and found multiple telegram channels. Okay. So this is, uh, the fake league, uh, began about three weeks after the real league wrapped up its games in May. And they said that the investigators were alerted to the scam by a local police officer who had noticed suspicious matches being played during mornings and evenings with floodlights on. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. It just seems so weird. It's big like, money, though. I, I don't know. I, oh, I'm sure it is. I just, I really question that how they would have gone to that great lengths to stage this, this fake Premier League because it would have to have, have involved money to to get this started. It must have been. I, I'm sure there was Russian involvement in this. There must have been, you know. A, I I don't know. I I'm no expert on, and you know the the underbelly of of Russian betting, but. There must have been funding of some kind of of some kind of a Russian investor who who knew that they could, you know, dupe these people into into betting onto this this fake league. Um, yeah, I don't think there were Russians yeah, involved. It said the that uh, it was run by four local men who had swindled thousands of dollars from Russian betters for fourteen days. The fake league mm-hmm. was given a name close enough to the real one: Indian Cricket Premier League. Hmm. Yeah, this is bizarre. I'm, I'm sure there's a, a lot more to this story, but it just it's it's weird how the the, the lengths in which they did this, and and did they honestly think they're going to get away with it as well? Mm, yeah, because yeah, some of these these Russian gangsters they're not nice people. Oh no, <laughs> you know, yeah, like they'll uh, they'll break your kneecaps and then they'll go to work on you, that type of thing. All right, one time for one more story: um, a viral TikTok video. Uh, by a McDonald's manager who arrived at 4 a.m. for a breakfast shift. Uh, He went on to rant about how he was forced to operate alone with some occasional help, apparently from a maintenance worker, as staff failed to show up for their 4 a.m. shift. Hmm. Two-minute video. You could witness the manager rushing around the store, boiling over his absent employees inventing about how he expected his staff to get to the restaurant at 4 a.m. yet no one showed up or called where was this was this in the state somewhere yeah 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 so apparently the response to him was uh mixed some people said that's you know that's the way people are today they're not they don't have responsibility and but then a lot of people apparently kind of heaped on the manager saying it's actually you you're the reason you're a bad manager that's why none of your right. staff showed up yeah like granted 4 30 in the morning that's a tough shift but still it's like there's lots of tough shifts people yeah, show up absolutely, for them yeah 
but yeah, it's still unusual that he would have nobody showing up. Um, puts him in a tight spot, and I guess we. Uh, you we, feel we bad like for to, the guy. Yeah, I, I guess we, based on the surface of just that headline alone, I would feel bad for the guy. Um, but as a manager, yeah, it's your job to to fix it. You you call other people to to get you know additional help to come in. So yeah, it seems like it's it's a common theme these days with, and we've talked about this many times before with the whole labor shortage going on post COVID. Um, you know, a lot of restaurants are, well, I'm sure everyone has has experienced that. So many restaurants, retailers are so short staffed. Uh, because I had an article here that sort of is is somewhat related to it. Um, there is a restaurant in Michigan which closed its doors due to rude tourists. Um, so yeah, Michigan restaurant shut its doors during one of its busiest times because of rude and cocky tourists. Its manager said that they, these tourists were abusing the staff. Um, yeah, staff was being mistreated. Um, so yeah, she made an executive, executive decision to just shut down the restaurant. Hmm. Um, Does it say what they did? Like what kind of abuse? Um, Okay, so there's some kind of a festival that goes on in this town in, in Michigan, this Venetian festival. Uh, it says for the eight days that this festival was on, Mandrew said that her staff was, quote-unquote, treated like garbage. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it says, yeah, due to mistreatment of servers, our kitchen is closed. So, yeah, I don't know how long they're closing this restaurant for. Uh, but, yeah, I, I guess that that's sort of the other side of the coin where – you know, you you have a restaurant that is is trying to um, to service people, but yeah, I guess they're they're having to withstand a lot of rude comments and arrogant customers. Um, so yeah, I guess that that's the part of of the restaurant world that you probably don't hear that much about. So I, I don't know. I, I'm again. I'm sure there's another side to this. Maybe her staff weren't that good, and maybe customers were very frustrated with the servicing. Um, and maybe that's her interpretation. The fact that her staff were treated like trash. Um, you know, it's an unfortunate situation all around. But I guess if a restaurant owner is willing to, you know, shut down for a few days to make a point, then I guess that's must have been pretty serious. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't see any real details about what what they did. Yeah, yeah. Like th- th- there was nothing in there about you know any specific issues or was you know they just said too many arrogant individuals acting like they can throw money around and get their way. Too many cocky jerks. So whatever that means. Um, but yeah, either way that this. This is quite a telling story, which shows that there's a lot of, lot of crap going on in the restaurant industry, and it and it's. I'm glad I'm not in that industry. <laughs> well, that is a problem. There's a, a big short after COVID. I think the restaurant industry lost a lot of workers because they said, "Screw it! It's just too too difficult an industry. The shifts are, the times are are hard to work in. The, you know, you get your schedule like two days before it's mm-hmm. some time to work. Like I re- I worked in the restaurant industry and. I remember, um, you know, you sometimes didn't know when you were working that week until like couple, like a day before. 
So mm-hmm. if that's that's a little easier for me at the time, I was you know late teens, early twenties. But for some people who have families, if they're not finding it when they're working, only like a day or two before, that could certainly be a problem. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, I think that's it for our time on uh, weird news. Uh, do you want to just quickly talk about what we're watching? Yeah, uh, quickly. Um, one thing that I'm I finished watching was um, a show. Well, it's kind of a, a six part series. It's called The Terminal List. Okay. Um, it's on Netflix, I believe. Um, so it stars Chris Pratt, and um, it's basically it's uh, about a U.S. Marine who leads a, a mission. Um, his his team gets ambushed. Um, and he's basically uh, uncovers a, a plot which was responsible for the reason why his his team was was wiped out. Um, th- there's a lot more to it than that. I don't want to sort of give away any spoilers, but it, it's very much um, sort of like a, a you know it's based on revenge, I guess, or, or finding answers as to what went on. And there's there's a deep conspiracy in, involved in this. Um, so yeah, it's it's based on a book. Um, and it is, uh, it's, I know it, it's quite, quite popular right now. Um, I enjoyed it. It, it's, um, it's, 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 as I said, there's six episodes, so it doesn't take a huge amount of investment of, of time. Um, there's certainly a, a little bit of a buildup, but once it gets going, there's, there's quite, quite a lot of action to it. And where do you um, find it? What, so what channel or what, uh. Streaming it, service it's, or uh, is it Netflix or is it Prime? No, actually, it's on Prime. Okay. It's on Amazon Prime. Yep, there you go. You know what's bugging so, me yeah. these days about Amazon Prime? What you have to pay for a lot of extras? Yeah, like I'm going on there looking for movies. I find it, and then it's like available to rent or buy, or as part of yeah. a other type of subscription. That's annoying. Yeah, if if it's an Amazon original, then that's when it's included. But I would agree with you in that, yes, there's a lot of movies on there that, you know, and older movies, not like it's new releases, that you have to still pay for. And that that's that sucks. That, yeah. What's the point in, in getting Prime if, if you still have to pay for stuff? Well, it's like with Netflix, at least you know whatever's on it is not going to have some other layer of membership to it. Yeah. What's the same with Apple TV as well? You have to pay for a lot of extras when it comes to Apple TV. Hey, I think it only, only the original programs. But anyway, uh, yeah, Terminalist. It's it's a good action movie. Um, I enjoyed it. I, I, you know, my wife was a little bit on the fence with it, mm-hmm. but um, I would recommend it. I, I think it's it was it was worthy. All right. So for me, it's a, a show called Young Sheldon. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's um, it's a nice, lighthearted series. It's actually related to the Big Bang Theory show. Yeah, and I, I was a big fan of Big Bang Theory. I think I've I've watched most of their episodes. And I haven't watched Big Bang Theory. I assume there is a character in it named Sheldon. Oh, okay. So it's weird. So you you you're watching Young Sheldon, but you've never watched Big Bang Theory. That's right. Wow. Okay. That's weird. So the Sheldon. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the kind of thing that is weird, and this is something we're seeing a lot in shows now, where they're doing these, uh, you know, there's spinoffs of of shows. In the old days, it was like. What Mork and Mindy was that a spinoff of Laverne and Shirley or something? Or I 
probably totally got that wrong, but Happy Days yeah. was a Laverne and Shirley was a spinoff of Happy Days, and yes, I think that was right. Yeah, yeah. so various shows where you're like, oh, I didn't know they were spinoffs. Or Joni mm-hmm. loves Chachi, you know. Um, <laughs> there's this is actually kind of a reverse spinoff. It's a show that is going is going back into the past of of Sheldon from Big Bang Theory and and him him and his life as a kid. It's got a very Wonder Years kind of esque feeling to it. Um, which I loved that show, Wonder Years. And what what's great about this is it's pretty lighthearted and it's easy to watch. There's only they're only like 20 minutes per segment. And it's something that you can watch with the kids. Mm-hmm. Which I find is hard these days to find something that the kids are interested in in it enough to sit down with the parents to watch. So yeah. That's what I like about it. So Young Sheldon, it's uh, it's on Netflix and I recommend it for just lighthearted, just funny stuff. It's 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 but it but it's got a good edge to it. I, if you like yeah. Big Bang Theory, I'm sure it's probably got the same kind of humor to yeah, it. Yeah, I'm sure it's the same writers, same creators and everything. So this is your new family watching TV show, right? Yeah. Yeah. Although this is a whole other topic, but I I watched like I saw my son watching it the other day and I said, wait a sec, we're all watching this as a family. And he didn't want to wait. So he's like oh, several yeah. <laughs> episodes ahead of us now, which I was yeah, quite annoyed yeah. about, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's it, Paul. We, we covered a lot of ground. Um, and let's not, let's, let's not lie again and say that we're not going to let yeah. as much time pass between yeah, us and our next episode. So, you, uh, we're here on the long weekend now. This is a, a holiday weekend here, a civic holiday, I believe they call it. The civic holiday, yeah, yeah. So we had yeah, this we day can... off today, and we used it to record our session. Yeah, we don't want to be pissing off our listeners here because I know they're they're chomping at the bit to to hear what we have to say. That's right. So uh, yeah, we 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 really do promise. Wait, that this time we're gonna did we're you... gonna be a little bit more frequent in our episodes. Did you just say chomping at the bit? Champing it. Is it champing or chomping? It's champing. Well, champing. Okay. All right. Champing at the bit. We talked about this in episode and what, three what or exactly four. Is, yeah. And what exactly is champing? It's what the horse does. You know, the bit in oh, the horse's okay. mouth. It's actually not chomping on it. It's champing on it. Okay. All right. One of those expressions that you're not really sure how it works, but uh, you, you use it anyway. You can just go back to champing at the bit. Okay. Well, I'm going to be chomping away here. 